0: Uh, Today, I got the wonderful topic. This is such a great topic. I totally felt like the Lord led me toward this topic. Today is uh, overcoming legalism. Um, I think it's one of the most important topics of our day. I really do. And you might be thinking to yourself, boy, this is a really important topic because we live amongst a lot of different religious views and all the legalism is out there. But I, I tell you that the legalism is also in here. It's all over the place. Um, it, it's, it's not just out there. It's, it's very pronounced in the life of the church. Um, and, you know, I, I have a lot, of, a lot of things to point out um, regarding it. And put it this way, this could be a year-long class. So, you know, I, I, I spent all my time scaling things back. Um, but, but there, there's an argument for everything there, there really is, um, for, for any objection that you might have toward legalism or, um, and I think some people confused just the fact that someone's desiring to be obedient in life and growing in the Lord as a legalism, which it isn't. Um, so we're going to talk a lot about that, but I do want to pray, don't you? And, um, ask the Lord to empower us and empower his word today. Father, I thank you for your scriptures and that noise, whatever that is. Lord, and your life, Lord, you are the way, the truth, the life. I pray right now that you'd fill us with your spirit. Lord, I come against the enemy, Lord, in the name of Jesus, who would not want these words preached today. Lord, But because to keep people in legalism is to keep people in bondage. It's to keep keep people out of the grace, out of the goodness of the cross. Lord, out of the power of your works. Lord. And so, Lord, we just ask that you break the stronghold of legalism in our own hearts. I pray that you break it in our cities, in our state. And, Lord, I pray that the cross and the elevation of who Christ is, that Christ ascended. Lord, Lord, that he conquered sin and death on his own, Lord, would be preached from this pulpit, Lord, from this stage, Lord, and in our church. And Lord, wherever legalism rears its ugly head, Lord, I pray that you would conquer it, Lord. And I totally identify with the early church, Lord, that this was their issue of the day. And so I ask for your grace to be upon us in Jesus' name. Can I hear amen? amen? Amen. You know, it's interesting because in the New Testament, the troubles of Jesus, his obstacles, weren't with the stoners. Do you know that? It, it, it really wasn't. Jesus didn't walk around and goes, oh man, those guys are partying. And, you know, when when the the blind and the wicked and the legion-filled people. When Jesus came to them with the good news, they were very thankful. Okay? And now I speak to you as one not raised in the church. Um, I, I, was not, I was an atheist for a long time. Uh, till, till I became a Christian, I was an atheist. I, I wasn't just a, um, a casual atheist. I was an intense atheist. Um, I was a studied atheist. So I, I studied atheism a lot. And not because I was doing it against Christianity. I was just studying life from my perspective. And so understanding what legalism is doesn't mean that I didn't suffer from it just because I was an atheist and didn't have pharisaical backgrounds. I had my own form of legalism. But it's interesting that this legalism or I like to say the life of the Pharisees versus the Sadducees. Everybody's got their code of what are the things you need to do. Let's look at all the things that Jesus said he said let's do this, let's do that, let's do this, let's do that and then let's compare it to what you think Jesus said. He said this, he said that, he said that and the Old Testament said this and it said that and it said that but no I think it said this and it said that but you're interpreting that wrong so it really means this, it means that And there's an argument of who's interpreting that right, rather than the focus of the heartbeat, which is what Christ's focus was, which was his cross and redemption and salvation. That he didn't come to make a set of rules that we'd argue about. And I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on Romans 14, which it says, Accept him whose faith is weak, where one person has a hard time struggling with one thing, and then you're supposed to accept him even though you feel like it's okay for you to do. And, and there's, there's, there, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time with that because it's relevant, but it's not relevant in the sense of it's just two different lists that peop- these people are arguing about. It's on my list or it's your list. I can accept your list or I can accept your list. Legalism in its heartbeat says that I have to do something to gain salvation or maintain salvation. I'm going to talk about this in more detail. But you have to ask yourself, because it's really based around the laws of God. If I obey all the laws, if I follow all the laws of God, then I'll be saved. And over and over again, the scripture says, if that's true, then Christ's death was a waste. It didn't need to happen. All we needed to do, and all we need to do every day, if, if that's true, is I'll just hand you a new set of rules. I'll tell you what the rules are. And somehow the spirit of life is in those rules, which will then embark upon you an inspiring of the Holy Spirit. In other words, this law or those rules instigates within you the spirit. Or is it the opposite, that the law and the rules actually instigate the flesh? which is what Paul says, okay? It does. It is a schoolmaster, but the hard way uh, to bring you to Christ. And Paul describes it as being rescued from a body of death. And legalism is just prevalent in, in churches. We can do it so easy. We can just jump in it so easy. We can just make a set of rules of conduct that everyone has to follow. And what will happen is, and think about it. Do you think the early church had just one set of conformity? Or that they are working with each other and accepting each other in their diversity. Because they were. That's where Romans 14 comes in. Now, let's take a look at it. I'm going to define legalism for our uses. Okay? Legalism equals the improper or you could say excessive use of the law or set of rules to gain. And I can add there, obtain, maintain salvation. Okay, like Mosaic laws, Ten Commandments, holiness laws, etc., that you have to do them. Now, is there anything wrong in the law itself? Galatians 3.21 says, Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Romans 7, that says, Is the law sin? Because we say it, it's not helping us draw near to Christ, and it says certainly not. But then listen to what it says. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. In other words, Christ wouldn't have come. The law would have been enough to inspire goodness. And, and let me give you some examples of things that we do. And, there's, and you, you ask yourself, is there something wrong with having like the rules of the house? You know, I've, I've seen parenting classes where I, when Jody and I had our kids were young, we found this thing where it says the 21 rules of the house. And it was kind of like, you know, make sure that you eat with your mouth closed. You know, make sure you say your please and thank yous. And, and, and those are really good guidelines. But they're not necessarily going to get you the heart of your child. You have to have the relationship with the kid. The rules can be a guideline of a standard. The, the Ten Commandments, thou shalt love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Those great commandments, thou shalt not covet, are great. Amen? And they are righteous. Amen? But they are not the governing force to drive us to purity and righteousness. Amen? And and he says, I'm going to quote it later, but in Acts 15, you're going to see Peter goes, why are we laying this on the Gentiles, all these laws? Because their argument was, let's take one of the laws and really highlight it. It was circumcision. Okay? And Peter says, man... Why are we laying this on the Gentiles? We nor our forefathers ever have been able to do any of this stuff. And now we're expecting them to do it? I think that they are saved by grace through faith just like us. And he goes, and how do I know? Because I watched them receive the Spirit of God. Right? And you see Peter who sits up on top of the roof and God says to him, eat. And he goes, I can't eat. You know what the law says. These are food that are unclean. And he says, eat. He tells them three times. And the third time, he all of a sudden, he goes up there to eat. And then he gets a knock on the door. And it's Gentiles at the door, basically. All of a sudden, they're going to. He gets led to the Gentiles who then receive the spirit. And God says, what I have made clean, you better call clean. Don't call unclean what I've made clean. Amen. And how many know that you, if you have your faith in Christ through the blood of Christ, he has made you clean. You are clean Amen. before God. And if you think that Jesus plus anything is going to help, it isn't. Okay? And I write Ephesians 2.8, used a million times, but I'll say it anyway. Two scriptures here. I'll start with this one. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not by work so that no one can boast. Now let me give you some quick problems with legalism. Okay? The first one is if you're a legalist, you are in a constant state of unacceptance. Because guess what? You need to do one more thing to get it right. If I just, if I just do this one thing, you know, if I just do one more thing, then I'll be right. You're, you feel unaccepted with God, and then with others, you feel also unacceptable because you have to, you've created a standard for yourself. Your rules are constantly changing, depends on what you're reading in the Bible this week. And I don't, I don't know if, if you know this, but if you read the Proverbs, you're always losing. Have you figured that out? Just pick a proverb right now, anyone, and go through it, and I will show you something you're not doing. Ha, you're not saved. Ha! You're not in the blessing of God. Ha! You don't belong in our church. Is that what you want? Because you will, uh, and then when you set your set of rules, and trust me, the legalist has them, they're ready to pull it out. You know, I think, you know, a new parenting class comes in a church and everybody thinks that's the parenting class. That's the one you got to take. You either take that one or you're no good. And then boom, Oh, did you take that marriage class or did you do this? And then everybody who didn't doesn't have the kind of intimacy you have in your marriage. And I'm not saying there's nothing wrong with exalting or loving a parenting class or a marriage class or a set of conducts. But what happens is now you judge everyone else according to that. They're accepted or not accepted by your conduct. And so you are in a constant state of unacceptance with others. And guess what? You are a constant state of unacceptance with yourself because you're always falling short. You can't ever wake up and go, "God loves me now." You have to say, "Gosh, I got to get my repentance done. I've got to get this going. I've done." And those are in the scriptures. Repentance is in there. Confessing your sin is in there. But it's also that He loves you and died for you already yeah. is in there, yeah. and it comes a priori. It's first. It is first, it is not last. See, God worked six days and rested. We rest first and enter into the seventh day. And then we work. Amen? Amen. It is the opposite of what we think. And it's not only the constant state of acceptance, it's Jesus plus something. In other words, it's never enough for the legalists. It isn't just Jesus and what he did. It's Jesus plus something, okay? And I've had local missionaries come to me, and I said, well, are you saved? oh, I believe in the cross. You do. Yeah, that he paid for our sins. Yes, I believe that. Or they believe in, you know, maybe the, the shedding of tears and in the Garden of Gethsemane. And, and they say, this is what I think happened, the atonement. And I said, so that's enough. Well, no, and then I have to. Plus, plus something. Let me just tell you, Jesus plus something doesn't equal Jesus. You start to add something to Jesus. Jesus plus, I went to the Bible study. Can you imagine that when you enter into the very throne of God, that you stand before the Holy Father who is so incredible, incredibly holy? I mean, have you ever been in the presence of the living God? And I'm not angry, by the way. I'm just passionate. Have you been in his presence and sensed his holiness and his purity? Do you really think that you will stand there point to Christ and yourself? Why are you here? Huh? And huh? And you're going to show him you're going to put out your little bible handbook and your navigator's thing and you're going to show him that and what are you going to show him? What do you think you're going to show them your damnable good works? It's like the guy who said, and he asked me, he said, hey, I think I'm a pretty good person. Will God accept me if I'm a really good person? I said, yes. If you are a perfectly good person, are you? He said, yes. Yes. According to who? Didn't you go to junior high? I mean, think of all the stupid things you did in junior high. I should be in prison for the things I did in junior high. (laughs) I can't even tell you the things I did in junior high. Listen, the, the third one here is an up down emotional life because you're in a constant state of unacceptance and you're, you're never set. It's never Jesus saves you. It's Jesus saves you, and guess what? We're going to church now. And I could tell who those people are because I run into them at Costco and the mall and the gas station, and they go, Hey, man, hey, um, I just wanted you to know. I, I, I haven't seen him in a while, but I wasn't like looking for them. Like, where are they? I'm expecting them to be in a home group, to be in community. If you're part of our church, that's where fellowship comes from. Amen? amen. We don't have a small group of five, 600 people at our home. Okay? How intimate would that be? So they'll, they'll, they'll say to me, they'll say, oh, oh man, amen. I'm, so, I'm sorry I wasn't at church. Like, dude, I'm having a great day today. When you didn't come to church on Sunday, my day was awesome. You missed out. You don't have to feel bad for me. Okay, man, I was trying to be there. What they're saying is, man, if I would have been there, then I'd be right with God right now. I want to just tell him. I go, you're right with God now. So don't you want to come to church? Amen. Because that's what's keeping you from church. Because you're just a legalist like the Pharisee's a legalist. Right? You're a legalist who has his own set of standards in a different way. And you have an up and down emotional life because on the day that you do good and you're the legalist and you have a good day and you're doing everything right and you read the word and you got up and you worship the Lord and you said something awesome to your spouse and you made breakfast for everyone and you're going, man, I'm saved. Right? Woo! And then all of a sudden your boss tells you that, you know, he switched your office to this office that you didn't want. Then you're going to sit next to this person you can't stand. You know, and then you realize that the company's profits were down a little bit. And so you just under your breath say the S word. Now all of a sudden you're not saved anymore. You just broke your your conduct. Now you're not saved. Now the cross doesn't work anymore. I mean, the father, the the father of all lights, the almighty God sent his son with a divine eternal plan. The uncreated creator of all things has a plan, but your S word messed it all up. Seriously. You know what the problem is? It's not just the S word. It's that you think when you don't say it, that earns you salvation. So you have a salvation of works just like the other faiths that you mock. Just like the other faiths that you make fun of. And trust me, they do this with end time stuff too. It's just rampant in the Christian body. They make movies like this where, where they make movies where you're in the end times and someone says, are you are going to deny Christ? And are you going to be a follower? And the guy goes, I don't know. Boom, you're going to hell. Because you doubted for a second right? Really? That's it? That's how I'm saved? How are you saved? By being strong in the end times. Jesus plus being strong in the end times. It's everywhere. It's in every movie. And Christians and get ready and they go, man, we got to get ready. My family's got to get ready. We got to build bomb shelters and make sure that we could say no. Really? You're going to put your hope back in yourself. How has that ever worked for you? Has it ever worked? Seriously, has it ever worked? Can I tell you what the easiest thing any leader or pastor can do? Is make you feel guilty and condemned. I'm telling you, I I would act it out. But someone might cut it into a snippet and turn it into a YouTube thing. And I don't want that to happen. But I could. Very easily. And you might think I'm against obedience, but I'm not. Obedience and the real power comes from it, which is my fourth point there. It's not true. That's the problem with legalism. It's not true. And he says it right there. You know, if you, if you want to, you know, uh, put on the quote, Romans 11:15. At the present time, there is a remnant chosen. Can everyone just say chosen? chosen? Chosen. Chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Amen? Amen? Amen. Grace means you didn't earn it. Whatever I think you've you've done at this point, there's nothing that you can point to or series of things that you can point to to say, I've earned it. Okay? Not one. And Paul's going to make this really clear. Okay? Okay, go to the faith in Jesus one. How many are getting something out of this already? Hopefully. Okay, good. Uh, you know, On one side, I put easy believism and the other side, legalism. This is kind of the the church's sort of debate, anionomianism is what it's called. It's basically the legalist will say to someone who believes that we're saved by grace, and they say, you're just afraid of the tough scriptures. Or they say, You know, you don't realize that God wants us to still follow the laws. And they put it that way. And that becomes, and in its extreme, what some people call easy believism. And and, and easy believism to me is not because it's not easy to be saved. How many knows, as Jesus says, anyone who believes in me will not perish? You know what I mean? Is is Jesus an easy believist? You know, is that his label? But I think that... You know, their point is someone comes to church like this, and I put it down here. I went to my mom's church. This is something I've heard many times, something like this. I went to my mom's church. I heard that God is good. Now, now realize that there's nothing about the cross in here that this person is believing. I really like the people. Religion, please help me change my love life. Right? You, come, you came to church because your love life wasn't as good as you want it to be. You're out of a job. Now you're hoping that God or the church will kind of help that out, that religion will sort of help you out. Maybe if you believe in a higher power. Again, you're not putting your faith in Christ, it's not a salvific prayer. And it says, and then in the end, it says, I'm a pretty good person. And then in the end, they say, I decide what's wrong, right and wrong. Ultimately, I have faith in myself. That's the other end. It's an easy believism that has no merit. You're not believing in anything in particular. On the other side, you got legalism. Works are my ticket to God. Notice the small g. Words are my ticket to godliness. In other words, he's going to help me become holier. Work. I mean, I'm going to help myself get holier. Works are my ticket to acceptance. Again, Jesus plus anything. More rules, more purity. And, and, and have you done that? Before I became a Christian, I remember getting goal-setting books and things like that, and they would tell me if I did this, and I thought, gosh, if I just did this every day, I'd have a good life. I just need to start doing this, and I'd put the rules down. How many have tried that before? And how many have noticed that that power starts to fade away? Because it's not an internal. There's nothing wrong with having goals. I'm not saying that. But I'm saying goals empowered by the flesh doesn't happen. You have to ask yourself this question, and this is an important one. If the works are going to get you more holy, then what are you depending on? Because there's only a couple things there's your flesh, which is the, the, the will of the man inside you, and the mind of the man, your flesh, and then there's the Spirit of God. Is the Spirit of God going to fail? Is he? No. So the only thing that's going to fail is you. And that's what you're putting your hope in. That's the part. Because you can't not think that God's going to come through because he says he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Amen? So you know he's going to complete it. And this is where ultimately the legalist says, I have faith in myself. And the motto he has is, I must come through or else I'm not going to get it. And Parents parent like this, too, with their kids, especially Christian kids. You know, they teach their kids, I got to do right or else I'm going to have this consequence. Just like I'm either going to do right or I'm going to go to hell. I'm either going to get this or I'm going to get punished. It's the way that you should parent is you ought to do right because it's right, because it's good, because it's from God. And because you will see consequences of yourself in there. Because the judgments of the Lord happen to be in all the earth because he consumes all things. How many say amen? Amen. Romans 3.28 says, We maintain that a person is justified by faith. Can you say the word apart? Apart from the works of the law. Now, I put here, legalism is always someone else. Other faiths, we believe that they have a works righteousness. And I just mentioned we have an end times righteousness. Other faiths, I've heard this phrase in different slogans with different faiths where they say you got to choose the right. And everyone's going, you can't be saved by that by just choosing the right thing. You need Christ. But look what you have on the other side. What would Jesus do? So in other words, I just start to imitate what Jesus did. It's called Christian science. Right, You kind of just imitate. You see what Jesus did, and so now you start doing it. That's another cult right there. Christians do it all the time. Well, Jesus did it, so I need to do it. What are you doing? I just wrote down all the things that Jesus did. This reminds me of my early walk with Christ. This is what Jesus did. That's what I'm going to start doing. God, I'm going to be great Christian. How? By my power of choice. And choice is the golden calf. Isn't it? I'm going to say amen to that. It is. It becomes the golden cap calf, calf. You know? Jesus never says, you know, what are you going to do now? What's your choice? Jesus never lays those kinds of things out. He says things like, follow me. <laughs> and his spirit comes alive. All right. Christians often don't recognize their duplicity. Look at this. Eric Van Rie, World Cup, cup Superstar. You like that? I just put it in there for fun. I found this on a on a on a church sermon where they said, you cannot accept God's grace for your life until you until you let it go. It's like they don't see their own the own duplicity. Like until really? How many accepted God's grace in your life through the cross and you still were struggling with your own righteousness? <laughs> this isn't true. But it looks so good, right? And how do you know it's false? Because you can't accept God's grace until you. It's Jesus plus who? You. You. Do you really think that you're going to wake up one morning on your own merit and just say, I'm going to be super holy the rest of this week? I tell you that if it is, it'll be by the prompting of the Lord. And we we have those scriptures. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Do it. For it is God who works in you to will and to act. It's the one place where you see the word will, phalo with man, And the word works, act. It's the word, our God, works. God does it. All right. Let me tell you why legalism survives and different reasons. Okay. How many struggle with legalism? Raise your hand. Come on. Raise your hand. How many have experienced being with an extreme legalist and been oppressed by legalism? Someone over you or someone in your family, whatever. Come on, raise your hand up high. I really want you to acknowledge it for other people's sake so they can see they're not the only ones. Listen, some come from an only, unholy lifestyle. This is Jody and I. And now seek to redeem themselves with good works. We went from unsaved to also, we got the Bible, and we were as legalistic as you could possibly imagine. I, I you know, I, I, was, I would say to Jody, man, we can't do that. God will kill us. Because, we know, and then I would find it. I'd find somewhere in the Bible where some Old Testament guy got killed. And I wouldn't do it in the light of the whole scriptures. I'd just find one isolated thing. And that's why the scripture says, not many of you should presume to be teachers. Right? Because I was instructing myself with my limited knowledge and going, oh, Isaiah, he got killed. Now I'm going to get killed. I better be careful every time I come into church and carry a basket. If I carry it wrong, God's going to kill me. Right? And others have the desire to be controlled. You want the rules. You're so sick of not finding anything, just like, give me some rules. I want to be controlled. I want to be legalistic. At least I know what to do. It's like if I do this, God will do it. Have you ever tried constantly trying to manipulate God to do what you want and He just still doesn't do it? How many have experienced that? He's not on your agenda. I spent so much of my early walk, and you have too, where you did a bunch of stuff and you go, okay, all right. So now I'm going to be great, right? Money's going to start rolling in. And God's like, I'm doing a totally different thing in your life right now. You have no idea. How does that help me, God? I can't believe it. I can't believe you're doing this to me. That's right. I'm getting at your anger. Let's going up. I mean, I'm so frustrated. That's right, God. Look at you. What, what, what? See all that anger? I'm going to deliver you. What? I just wanted the cash. <laughs> I, just, I just wanted the plan. I just wanted the cool job. I just wanted a better skill. I just wanted to look better. Come on. How many know what I'm talking about here? A third reason could be leaders who just want control for their own benefit. You know what I mean? It's their own gratification. It's their own gratification. They, they feel like they're in control. It doesn't have to be on purpose. It's not like every leader who's been legalistic wanted to manipulate you. Jude does talk about those who flatter others to their own advantage, right? Um, because they're trying to prosper themselves. But you have to understand that the control comes sometimes because they don't know how to trust the Lord. So let's put everybody under a control, then we'll make it. Like I'll just make people feel guilty about not coming to church. Then they'll come. Listen, I've been pastoring for a long time in Utah. People never come, hardly ever come to church the same day, same week. They, they, they go to church. They feel really good about themselves. Then they skip a week. Then they drink on Thursday, barf on Friday, Saturday they recover, and Sunday they're back on church again. Or Sunday I'm back on church It doesn't always happen that way, but it's it's rare that people understand their own benefit to the city as being part of church. Like it's not just about you and what you're going to get out of it today. Did you get something from today? But you being here is also being a light to the city. Do you realize that? That's part of your role. Why put it under a bushel? Okay, A a third reason a fourth reason is that some people are more afraid of God than in love with him, okay? It's just there's a fearfulness, okay? So let's get to the different forms and then get to the heart of the message here. Legalism can take different forms. A person attempts to keep the law or the set of rules in order to, number one, gain salvation, okay? They're trying to gain it. If I do these things, Jesus plus this, then I'll know that I'm saved, and I meet people all the time. I have this one friend of mine who's a pastor of a different uh, group. And, and, and I tell him, I said, so do you know that you're saved? And he goes, I am. You know, I mean, as long as And he starts to talk about it. And I go, so as long as you what? He goes, I do this. And I said, so you don't know. He goes, well, I know. And I go, how do you know? How do you know you won't do that? And he goes, well, I mean, I don't know. But I, I know. Just inside, I know. So it's just a feeling. It's like, why would you want to put your faith in a feeling? You know, when you have faith in yourself, it's wrong. That's what faith is in the world. I watch the basketball and the NBA playoffs. I watch football. I'm a sports guy. I love it. But, you know, you watch it and they use faith all the time. Man, I got faith. What? In my workout. You know, I have faith in the hard work. I have faith that something good will happen. Why? I don't know. Just because the nebulous clouds are ordered in a certain way. Really? And you think Christians are stupid. I mean, seriously. I mean, that's as stupid as stupid can be. Isn't it? I know you you shouldn't say stupid in church, but yes, you should. (laughs) Number two, you keep the law to maintain salvation. Or three, to improve your salvation. I need more sanctification. I need more laws. I, I, I need more rules to help me get there. And fourth, I need the rules so that I can judge others according to the rules that I've put together. Okay, that's where it is. And some people will say, no, no, we do not do that. We do not use the laws. We got rid of the Mosaic laws. We do not follow them. We have these new laws that we created. Check these out. They're covenants and laws and things that you have to keep, but you have to keep those. They're not the Mosaic laws. They're new laws. Listen, that's called mimicking. Right? It's bait and switch. And why would you switch Mosaic laws with anything else? Seriously, the Mosaic laws are pretty cool. Okay, so here's the motto. I must keep the law and the rules, and let's go to this detail. So we've got a little bit of time. I'm sorry it's taken this long, but this message needs time to get it right. Amen? Okay, I must keep the laws and rules, number one, in order to gain salvation. Now, I'm going to say this. This is a heresy and a complete false doctrine. Okay? I don't care what anyone says, that's what it is. Paul says here in Galatians, he says, I do not treat the grace of God as meaningless, for if keeping the law could make us right with God, there was no need for Christ to die. Amen? In Romans 3.20, after he says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, he says, Therefore, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Who? No one. Say it again. No one, turn to someone and say, "No one. Tell them say, "Not you. Tell them, not your mama, not your gardener, not your doctor, not your pastor. Not you your cousin. Who? One more time? No one. no one. No one will be declared righteous in God's sight. By the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become what? Conscious of sin. So what's the rules going to give you? Man, I'm a sinner. Right? That's always encouraging. So make the rules. As long as you see its role, then you can look at the law and see where it points those things out. But watch this. And he says, but now... Apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. Now, we can't be made righteous by the law. No one can. But now, apart from the law, a righteousness from God has been made known. And guess what? The law and the prophets testify about them. So they're in the law pointing to this. And it's in the prophets pointing to this. So it's not separate. You're going to see Jesus quote this scripture from the psalm. And he says, this righteousness is earned. No. It's what? Amen. It's given. Through faith in Jesus Christ to all or everyone, that word pass, to all who believe. Everyone who believes, anyone who believes, it is given to them. I mentioned this before, Romans 4, 4, but I'll say it again. Now to the one Who does not work. This is so contrary to our thinking. To the man or to the one who does not work. Just say it with me. Does not work. Say it to somebody. One more time together. To the one who does not work. Are they working? Are they doing works? No. But to the man who what? Does not work. But... Trust God Trust. who justifies. He justifies you. That's like an imputation. He, when you're justified, God in a legal manner imputes to you a certain value. He imputes to you what you believe, righteousness by what you believe in, which is Christ, the righteous one. He imputes to you righteousness. It's like he goes to your life and you know, how, you know the credit card where they put the card down and then they used to, like, with the paper, they'd go over it? God goes over chuk, 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 like that, and you're in, bam, you're marked. You're marked in Christ. And now the charge, your bank account, is no longer your own bank account. You are connected to the righteousness of Christ's bank, uh, bank account. And the laws, which would make you constantly in debt were crucified in him literally he fulfilled all of the law and all of the prophets their faith it says is credited as righteousness here's an objection doesn't jesus say we need to follow all the rules and the laws to be saved listen to what he says regarding that what i just said do not think i have come to abolish the law or the prophets Imagine if Jesus would have come and he just said, Hey, you guys, I'm here. So let's take the law and throw it down the toilet. And whatever the prophet says, that doesn't matter. Because I love you guys. Would that be a just God who forgave us in wickedness with no right compensation and just let wickedness be unpaid for? Would that be a righteous God? No. He doesn't say that. What he says is, I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. I will fulfill them. Some churches read this and go, we have to fulfill them all. We we have to fulfill them all. Don't you see that this message is written before? Jesus has one that's very similar to it. He, I don't, don't have it written down there. I was trying to cut back. But he was saying, not one jot or tittle of this law will be diminished until all things have been fulfilled. And some people will say, yes, see, we have to do the legalists. We got to do them all. And then he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. And he goes, but I tell you, even if you got a little anger in your heart and say, Raka, you're in dangers of the fire of hell. He gives that scripture and raises the bar. To the legalist that says, I've done this. I've done all this, Lord. Okay, sell everything you have and give it to the poor. Well, I did give it everything to the poor. Okay, now saw your body in half. I mean, God is going to raise the bar higher and higher. Amen? Amen. Yeah. And if you're a legalist, you know this. Because the minute you got down your rules, I'll give you five new ones. Yeah. Never lust in your heart ever, ever again. Don't think more highly of yourself Ever. Or you're not saved. (laughs) That's for the legalist. You are really frustrated. Oh, yeah? You're angry at me? Well, then you're in sin now because you're raging against me. And now you're not saved. We can go round and round on this, can't we? You want to put your hope in yourself? You want to put your hope in God? All right. I must keep the law and the rules number two in order to maintain salvation. And I'm going to take you just through a little part of Galatians. I've taken you through this part again, but I have to for this topic. He says to them that why did you put your hope in a gospel that wasn't this free gospel? Anyone comes to you with something other than this gospel, let him be, and he uses the Greek word anathema, which is let him be accursed. It's like a curse to the core. Someone comes to you preaching a different message that you'd somehow believe for your eternity. Let them be damned. Let it not be right. Let them not curse your life and your legacy and your family when God's rescuing you. And then he goes to this religious group who he had spent some time with and he had given the gospel. He had portrayed the cross like I do five times every time I preach up here and keep pointing you, keep pointing you, keep pointing you to the cross. He had pointed them to the cross and then they had now turned to these other leaders who had secretly slipped amongst them who didn't like the fact that they were free and that they were trying to go, well, they can't be free, that can't be right. we got to put some rules on them. And he comes to them and he says, you foolish Galatians, right? You foolish. It could just be you stupid Galatians. It's right there. Check your concordance. You foolish Galatians, who has bedazzled you, bewitched you? Who has tricked you? before your very eyes Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified I'd like to learn just one thing from you just tell me one thing okay just tell me this did you receive the spirit the Holy Spirit by the works of the law or did you receive it by believing what you heard about the cross which one Like, did this, you were obeying the law and then the Spirit came in you? Is that what happened? Or did it come by what Christ did and what you believed? Verse three, are you so foolish? After beginning by means of the Spirit, are you now trying to finish by means of the flesh? Have you experienced so much in vain? if it really was in vain? In other words, it's just vanity, your works, that's it. Verse 5, so again, I ask, does God give you a, <coughs> excuse me, a spirit and work miracles among you? Can someone grab me water back there? Among you by the works of the law or by believing what you heard? Which is it? Which is it? The works of the law are believing what you heard he's going to ask them this question. If you started with the spirit, that's what you got when you believed, are you now going to try to attain your goals with human effort? That's the next verse. Uh, Because what else is in you besides the flesh and the spirit? Right? Spirit, soul, body, your body, which is governed by your flesh. And then Christ in you, his spirit. Why would you turn to that for your salvation? He's saying you received the Spirit by what you believed. Do I hear it? Amen. Amen. Let no... Did everyone fall asleep or am I just boring? Seriously, I'm just asking. It's good feedback if I am. So also Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who have faith, thank you, are children of Abraham. Amen. And there's a big move in the body of Christ today who the children of Abraham are. Can I tell you who they are? They're the ones that have faith in Christ. Amen. Yeah. Got to watch less TV. Before the coming of this face, verse 23, we were held in custody under the law. Okay? Like a guardian. You weren't the inherited yet. Your parents or your guardian was still alive, but Christ died and we access what is his. Amen? Amen. We were locked up until the faith that would come would be revealed. So, did the law have purpose? Yes. So, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. Now that this, so who's the guardian? Verse 24, who's the guardian? The law. Now that this faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. Are we under a guardian? Not that one. Now it's not the law of sin and death, but it's the law of the spirit and life. Amen? Listen, here's that Acts 15. I'm almost done here. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, can everyone say Jesus plus? Jesus plus plus circumcision. Ouch. Ouch. (laughs) Touche. He says you cannot, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them the Holy Spirit too. This is what I was talking about earlier where the Jews were saying, I know the Gentiles are saved and I know it's by the cross, but they're not saved unless they are circumcised. Jesus plus. This was the argument all through the New Testament. And it says, and then he says, but God knows the heart. He showed that he accepted them because they got the Spirit. I mean, they received the Holy Spirit and they weren't circumcised yet. And so he's trying to explain it here. He says, he says, he did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts, can everyone say, by faith. By faith. And it says, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles? By the way, if you're a Gentile, can you raise your hand? I want to see all the descendants of the Philistines and the Babylonians and the Phoenicians. Where are they? There they are, I can tell. Yep, I can see some of you Babylonians out there. (laughs) Why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that we neither nor our ancestors have been able to bear? Think about this. He's saying we've never been able to do this and you've never been able to do this. Now, I understand that this message may not seem practical to people. It's much easier when I talk about overcoming rejection Because you go, man, I've been rejected. I need to overcome it. But do you understand that rejection mostly comes from legalism? Do you understand that? Fear comes from legalism. This is the root of it. He's saying here, listen, we couldn't do this when we were walking with God. We couldn't do this. We have the Old Testament. Our forefathers could never do this. Why are we laying this on the Gentiles? And then he says, no, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. Do I hear an amen? Amen. We are saved by the grace of God. Look at this graph. You have the flesh on one side and the spirit on the other. Many teach that you're right with God when you get that in the middle that the spirit. You know, you kind of have your flesh sort of follow after the spirit, you know, just kind of follow after the spirit with your flesh. Has your flesh got any better? Does does the Bible say, man, your flesh is really going to improve? How many know that your flesh hasn't improved much at all? One second, the right thing comes out, and your flesh is drawn to it. And it says, the Spirit gives life, the flesh counts for nothing. Jesus says, what? The Spirit gives what? Flesh counts for what? Nothing. Nothing. Nada. Zilch. Zero. Zero. Man, I hope you're getting this message. I really do. Because Paul's going to bring it right down here. This two last scriptures here. um, This one in Philippians. Mark my words. I tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised. In other words, you take one aspect of the law and you do it. Because you think that's going to justify you. Or you do one end times thing that gets you right with God. The minute you do that, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Because you now have put your hope in yourself. And I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, you take this one aspect of the law and you do it to justify yourself that he's obligated to obey the whole law. Because once you do one thing to justify yourself, you are obligated to all of it. Because as James says, whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. This is serious business. Go down to Philippians 3, 1, Rob. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me, this is about the circumcisions, to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. He's going to tell them about the circumcision group, that they're going to come in, and they're going to pick something from the law, circumcision, circumcision. And it could be something else from the law or one of the commandments that if you don't do that exactly the way that they're supposed to, then you won't be saved. And he says, watch out for those dogs. It's like a pack of dogs. Those evil doers, the mutilators of the flesh, the cutting off of the flesh on your private parts, which is a symbol of your flesh, a work of the flesh. And he says, for it is we who are the circumcision... Who are the ones that are circumcised? We who serve God by his spirit. Who boast in who? Christ Jesus. And put, can everyone say, no confidence. One more time. No confidence. One more time. No confidence. Listen, no confidence in the flesh. And oh, if you can just get that. I don't know if I can convince you. It needs to be by the spirit of God. I can't, I can't, I, can't, I want to lead you into freedom. I, I really do. I want to lead you into freedom. I want to lead you away from the bondage of your works. And I want to turn you to the grace and the goodness of God who will empower you to real good works. And he says, although my, look at Paul. Paul says, okay, you think you're something? You think you got confidence in your flesh? I'll give you something. I myself have reverse confidence. And this is the scriptures that I'm closing with. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, he goes, I have more. Now he's abandoned them at all, at all costs. He's abandoned them for the sake of Christ. And he says, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like the law required, just like Jesus was. I'm of the people of Israel. You're grafted in, you're a Gentile. I was born in it. I'm a direct descendant of Abraham himself. I'm of the tribe of Benjamin who was loyal to Judah. I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. I am the epitome of my people, the top of the class. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, I persecuted the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Everything I did, but not the heart. Listen to what he says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss, because of the surpasses, surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, my king, my Savior for whose sake I have lost all things. Many will come to him on that day. Didn't I do this for you, Lord? Didn't I prophesy this? Didn't I do these things? And wasn't I at church all the time? And Jesus says to them, away from me, you workers of evil. I never knew you. You were just a worker of your works. Away from me. Don't turn down the good, incredible news of the gospel. It is the power of salvation. Let the words that I've said reverberate in this state. Let the spirits of death hear the power of life in the name of Jesus Christ. Why don't you close your eyes? Paul says, I consider it all garbage that I may be gained Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own. Can you just take your own righteousness and throw it down the toilet? Can you put your righteousness right now, whatever righteousness you think you had that you're hoping in, put it down the toilet and be found in Christ instead and say, my hope is in Christ, not my own righteousness. You don't even know where your righteousness is messed up but you put your hope in Christ alone. Paul says not having a righteousness of my own, but one that comes that comes from the one that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now listen. To reject the law is not to reject you're not rejecting the law in its righteous stance. You're not rejecting the law to say, oh, I don't respect it and what it is. It's a guideline for us of what God is like in his righteousness. But Christ is the exact representation of God. He is the example, not the law, but Jesus Christ. What the Father does, I also do. Do you want to put your faith in Christ instead of the law, instead of your own rules, instead of your old religion? Instead of your new religion that you've even found in the Christian church, you've been making rules for yourself since you got saved. The Bible says the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. If you'd like to put your faith in Christ alone, only Him, only His work, only what he has done, only recognizing that it was his motivation and his desire that he would do this for your behalf. If you would like to put your faith in him alone, all through this, whether you've done it or not, would you just stand together as a group of believers to say, we as a body of believers, a congregating believer's, we put our faith in Christ alone, nothing else. And Father, we come before you. We raise our hands. Can you just raise your hands just to reach out to God to say, Lord, I am accepted by you. This is the year of Jubilee, the acceptable year of the Lord's favor. And the Lord says, I come to heal the brokenhearted." Are you broken hearted? You've been accepted by God and he'll heal you. Are you crushed in spirit? He'll lift you up. He's accepted you in this wonderful year of the Lord's favor. Today is the day of your salvation. And every day afterwards, I am saved by the goodness of God, by the grace of God, by the mercy of God, by the power of God, by the, the sacrifice of God. By the resurrection of God. By the ascension of God. By the foreknowledge of God. By the predestination of God. By the planning of God. By the eternity of God. By the word of God. Who is God. He was with God in the beginning. And we put our faith in you. And nothing else. In Jesus name. How many say amen. Amen. How many want to give an applause to the Lord? Amen. Father God, thank you. Bless your name. Bless your name. Amen. Listen, next week, not to change the subject, but we have an awesome topic for you men. I promise you, I really believe God gave me a special word for our group. I want to encourage you. If you already got plans, no guilt. I understand people make plans and guys get to pick where they want to go. But I really feel like I have a great word from the Lord for you guys next week. God bless you. We'll see you next time.